Hello and welcome to the Progress Report, the podcast for pre-service and rookie teachers. I'm Mike McFadden. With me as always is Brian Whalen. Stick with us as we examine discussion techniques on this, our third episode. Last week, we talked a lot about what sound technology integration looks like in the classroom uh, and what it is not. We got to a point where we sort of decided that uh, as a teacher, you're developing a toolkit, and technology is one of those tools, and you really want to hone your tools. So I believe we said so you can chop down that tree. That's right. Because a dull axe doesn't chop a tree down. Nope. And remember, a, uh, a toolbox or a tool belt will suffice just as well as a toolkit. Something, something to contain all of your tools. Uh, that got us uh, thinking today as we were talking about what we wanted to talk about. You know, what other tools do teachers need to have in their toolkit outside of uh, outside of technology? We, we sort of started thinking about our student teaching experience and the, the tools that we didn't have at that point. And so I thought that we would first sort of recap, you know, what, what it was that we did while we were student teaching. So, Brian, where were you student teaching? What were you doing? Well, uh, Mike, I think both of us uh, share uh, something in common that our student teaching experiences were different than what we're doing now, not only just because teaching has changed, but um, uh, for several reasons, as we'll hear. So uh, I was teaching uh, in a junior high in uh, Chicago Public Schools, I was teaching 7th and 8th grade social studies. Uh, 8th graders, I was teaching a novel. And 7th graders, I was teaching them to prepare for the Constitution test. Similar to Brian, I also taught uh, in an area that I don't currently teach, which was social studies at a high school in uh, northern Illinois, uh, in Gurney. If you're familiar with Great America, that town right there. And it was a freshman and sophomore campus. I think it was like a world civilization class in American government uh, class. So again, very different than what I'm doing right now, which is mostly teaching technology and business classes. Brian, what are you teaching again? Uh, teaching business education, uh, investments, personal finance, and business law. So from the perspective of a student teacher, you know, there's all of this stuff that you have to do. No, no better way to put it than stuff. But yet you have to learn uh, the content. Uh, you have to learn classroom management. You have to learn pedagogical strategies. You have to learn how to teach. And so it can be a little bit overwhelming. So what we thought we would do is focus on some overriding strategies or tools that you can kind of keep in your toolbox uh, so that if you end up teaching in a different content area, you will still have gained something valuable from your student teaching experience. I think we're looking for tools and we're looking for skills that can transfer uh, for a, here's a a buzzword for you guys, cross-curricular. So a, a strategy that you might see in a business class, but strategies that you also might see in an English class or a science class. We're all about the buzzwords lately. Last week, it was metacognition right. this week, cross-curricular teaching strategies. Okay, so um, what I thought we would do is identify just one technique. So we're not going to overload our listeners with a, a whole bunch of different ideas, just sort of one technique uh, that has to do with discussion. So, Brian, do you do discussion in your class? I do quite a bit of discussions. Um, and uh, going back to uh, that student teaching experience is um, with such focus on the contents of what it is you're actually teaching uh, and then teaching something totally different your first year out, uh, very, I don't want to say very little, but um, there were, uh, weren't enough things that transferred from a social studies class to a business education class. Uh, and so one tool that I've developed uh, 
over the years is a discussion technique that I call think, pair, share. And by no means that I come up with that name. Uh, it has been uh, used and renamed and called different things. But I think uh, it is important, though, to, to take ownership of it, even if it's not something that you created, because every teacher is going to put their own twist on it. And so as you talk about your think, pair, share, I, I would argue that it is your your technique, even if you borrowed it from somewhere else. Thank you, Mike. I You're appreciate welcome. that. You can have it. It's All yours. Right. So uh, it, uh, the strategy is just like it sounds. Uh, that is think, pair, and then share. Uh, and so a question would be posed to the class. Um, and uh, I would say give the students the opportunity to think mentally about the question. Uh, and then the pairing part comes where whether they are sitting next to somebody or they're in uh, quadrants and tables, uh, and they uh, pair up with somebody, whether a group of, of two or three, um, and then within those pairs, uh, they can share their responses with their classmates. So you could even uh, maybe add another share at the end uh, because you could uh, add the uh, whole class share element by calling on students uh, at random or, uh, you know, if you have some type of uh, system in place for how you call on your students uh, to share with the entire class. I, I think that that, that last piece uh, adds a little bit of accountability where if you are, are having students share to the entire class, um, then they know that they're going to have to, number one, actually think and come up with their own response, but then also um, you know, be accountable for what they're saying about the particular discussion question. Yeah, and I think every teacher has had this situation where they ask a question and then they're just met with blank stares. Even the best teachers in the world uh, get that. But what separates uh, you know, a novice teacher from a, practice, a teacher who employs best practices is they have this toolkit uh, to respond to this. You know, Occasionally you're going to get a class that just dives into, into discussion and just loves to talk, loves to, to go deep, but occasionally you're going to have to you know, pry it out of your students. And so Think, Pair, Share is definitely one of these tools to keep in your back pocket so that when you're met with those blank stares, you know how to handle it, you know what to do. So we had a, a sample question that was actually applicable uh, for a class that I teach, a tech essentials where uh, we talk about digital citizenship uh, that but then you also had a class where the same question was relevant which was which class uh, we, in our business law class we were talking about the the business of law and uh, the internet is obviously a big component of that and uh, we, we talked about the concept of net neutrality and uh, we won't get into the specifics about Net neutrality. Basically, it's the idea of keeping the internet open and not restricting usage for customers uh, from the ser- uh, the internet service pri- provider end. That's right. all we'll say. Right. And so, uh, a very simple question uh, that we'll use is why is net neutrality important? So I think before we start talking about the think, pair, share, one of two things is going to happen there. You're going to have students that just understand everything about this question and topic and just want to go into the discussion. But you're going to have a lot of kids who don't even really know what net neutrality is. So you might want to actually layer your think, pair, share um, on top of each other. So you can utilize this tool over and over again in different contexts. So you might start off class with an induction set of you know, finding out uh, if your students actually know what net neutrality is. So think about it. What is net neutrality? Share your response with the person that you're sitting next to. All right, now you're going to, as a whole class, identify a definition. So now you can start focusing on the, the why. You can start diving a little bit deeper. You can do that critical thinking um, about why net, net neutrality is important. Right. I think just for this question specifically, I think you can just have them initially focus on those two words. Focus on net 
with a little uh, guidance that we're talking about the internet and then the idea of as opposed neutrality. to fishing nets as opposed to a fishing net or any other type of hair nets basketball, that you might have basketball nets, nets hoop nets volleyball uh, badminton whatever your pleasure is <laughs> yeah so I think that that's a great idea to sort of get that you know that base level understanding because you're not going to be able to go deep if they don't have any idea what you're talking about um, so yeah, I, I think Brian, in your class, do you find that generally you can get into discussion just with that simple uh, think pair share. Yes, uh, and it takes time, um, and I, and I think like most things in the class, you have to build. Uh, you have to build it, and it kind of has to become just uh, embedded into your teaching strategies. Uh, so it's something that the students uh, not only do they know what it is, but they know the expectations uh, in terms of uh, you know the quality of thought. Uh, but also the expectations of their participation. Yeah, and I think that when you are, as a teacher, thinking about your toolkit, you're also helping your students develop their own toolkit to think about things. And so you are going to have to teach them how to use these tools. And so one thing that I have done uh, when I found that the, the think pair share wasn't working that well is I'll actually have the students do a written response, you know, write three sentences uh, about why you think net neutrality is important, because you will get some students that view the, the think portion as an opportunity to zone out. Um, having them write something down holds them more accountable. You can collect that. Uh, you can do that uh, sort of as a, an exit ticket even, too. You know, if you're wrapping up class, you can, you can have that. I'm going to collect these before you leave. That's how you're earning your points for today. Um, but it, it forces them to put pen to paper, to, to think about something, to, to synthesize their understanding in a written form. Yeah, and uh, I guess overall, looking at this strategy, whether it's uh, whether you're introducing or whether you're using it as a as a close for a lesson, is w- one thing that you are getting as a teacher is you're getting feedback. And um, uh, going back to Mike's example of using it at the end of the class, if uh, if you're gathering responses and you see your responses are way off uh, and not what you were expecting or not aligned with what the uh, instructional goals are. Uh, that gives you some feedback, uh, and that tells you maybe you need to uh, review some things. Maybe you need to uh, change your uh, strategies. Yeah, to throw another buzzword out there, this is an example of uh, qualitative formative uh, assessing. Wow. Qualitative formative assessing. assessing. So you, know, you are forming your understanding about what your students understand about this topic. It doesn't take a lot of time, um, and, and you don't have to put it into a spreadsheet and build a graph out of it, but you know, best practices – uh, suggest that teachers are going to find out if their students actually understand something. And if they don't, then you take the time to to reteach. Um, one other thing that I like about the, the written portion is that it does give you that formative um, you know, assessment data, um, qualitative in nature, to uh, figure out if they understand what they're if they understand what they're talking about. Um, but it also gives students who might be shy um, something to refer to as they're doing the sharing. Um, so depending upon the, you know, the, the culture of your classroom, you might find that students are better off reading something that they have already written as opposed to uh, trying to speak off the cuff about what they thought about. Um, do you have any other strategies that you employ within the Think, Pair, Share? I've got a couple that I, I use if I need to sort of take it a little bit further. Yeah, um, teaching, uh, both Mike and I teaching here, uh, we teach in a block schedule. So our classes are, uh, we have four 90-minute classes a day. And um, well, that those of you listening, my, that might seem like a long time. And sometimes it is a long time. But uh, it's important that there is some movement within that 90-minute period. Uh, and so uh, you could uh, 
in that pair part or that share part um, uh, do some activities or do some active sharing where the students actually have to get up from their desk and cross the room and find somebody who is on the other side of the room. Um, again, if, they, if you have some type of uh, system for pairing your students up, numbering or uh, you know randomly pulling a student's name out of a hat or randomly assigning students to discuss um, if it's a more uh, if it's a debatable topic um, you can find somebody who has the same viewpoint as you you can find somebody who has uh, a different uh, point as you but I think the, the the activity part or the active part is a nice change up to that. Yeah, and I think we should mention that even if you don't have a blocked class, if you only have 40 minutes, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, whatever the case may be, it's still a good idea to get your students up and out of their seats. In feedback that we've received from students, they feel like a 90-minute block is really long when they're sitting in the class, I'm sorry, sitting in the same seat the entire 90 minutes. Even if you are, you know, showing a video clip, having a class discussion, uh, doing a, a small group activity or a partner activity, if they never leave their seat, uh, there, there's something about a change of scenery that helps time uh, you know, flow, and, and students will then stay more engaged because they're having to physically change what they're doing, and I think the, the sort of cognitive aspect follows when they're up and out of their seats. So that, that think or that write, that pairing, and then it's that small group, and then you could even get, you, so now you're at like a group of four to six, you could even then get into you know a, a group of eight to 12. Uh, so I think that having this different group dynamic helps foster discussion. If that's what you're after, when you get to the whole class, you could then either circle up um, another opportunity to move you know, the arrangement of the desks in that situation if you wanted to, um, or, or even just get back into the rows or columns or groups of seats, however you have your room uh, set up. The students have now engaged with at least uh, four, at least three different other ideas um, other than their own. So they've had now this whole time to think about it. Now you can discuss it as a whole class. You can, again, gain this sort of qualitative feedback on the, the whole class's understanding. And I really want to reiterate Mike's point about the, the reason you're doing this, and yes, this is a great teaching strategy, but uh, we're trying to get, you know, hopefully you are, you're trying to get your students to develop those critical thinking, those higher order thinking skills. Um, and so this is more than just a teaching strategy. This, uh, like most teaching strategies, should be done with the goal in mind of what is best for your students and what is going to help them develop those critical thinking skills. Yeah, what we're trying to do is build lifelong learners, and at times that you know sort of sounds like an educational buzzword, uh, but but it's true. We're trying to help students think about complicated ideas that have multiple viewpoints, and having them actually practice that in class related to the content that you're studying and learning about is a great way to do that. I would agree. Great point, Mike. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, I think that's just about all I have to say uh, about uh, discussion techniques. Uh, what I would sort of reiterate is that uh, this is a cross-discipline activity. This is something that works in almost any situation, and it's something that you can certainly write into your lesson plans, but I think you'll start to find that it's also really useful to have in your back pocket and that certain search situations will call for a think-pair-share, think-pair-share small group, think-pair-share small group, whole class discussion uh, type situation. Yeah, and I think the only way, uh, teachers out there, if you're listening, the only way that you're going to uh, know what's right is to try. Uh, and the first time you do it, you might fail. Uh, it might not work exactly what you want, but... Um, I, I think uh, you have to you have to find what is what's going to work best for your class. 
yeah, so absolutely give it a whirl, give it a try. The good thing about it is that you know it's this sequence of events. You're, you're not making it up as you go. You have this structure in place to rely on, and you know it, it's one that is used by many teachers because it works, but it also, um, it, it also helps the students uh, to, to engage. It helps the students to think. It helps the teacher uh, to, to develop a dynamic uh, class. And it works in almost any subject area. So as your substitute, I'm sorry, as your student teaching, um, you know, think about the things that you can do now that are going to have a meaningful, lasting impact on your profession as a whole. I would, I would think, Mike, that we would give uh, Think Pair Share a ringing endorsement yes. as a teaching strategy in our classes. Absolutely. Uh, well, I think that wraps up our, our discussion techniques. If uh, you, the listening audience, has anything that you'd like us to focus on and talk about, we'd love to hear you. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at M-J-M-A-C-F-A-D-D-E-N. I also blog at mmcfadden.com. I'm over on the Twitter as well. I'm at Brian, B-R-I-A-N underscore Whalen. That's W-H-A-L-E-N. And I'm also... Uh, on the blogosphere at whalen, W-H-A-L-E-N dot biz, B-I-Z. All right. This has been the Progress Report, Episode 3. Thank you so much for listening. We hope to see you around. I don't know if we'll see you, but hopefully you hear We hope us. to see the uh, view, listen, the listen count go up uh, on SoundCloud and iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Thanks so thanks, much. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.